Together. I'll have an earpiece and you have an earpiece and 24-7 we just stream record. It's just fucking stream of <laughs> unconsciousness yeah. out into the ether. And then we'll pay someone in Fiverr to edit it. <laughs> it's a great idea for a show. Fiverr. Uh, why are love we, Fiverr. Why are we up so early? Or is it late? I don't know. Uh, I don't even know what time it is. Well, I'm glad you're back. I have your mail. I'm only like half back. I got... <laughs> My other half is still on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, man. Is there? I'm going to Mexico. Mexico is only an hour behind, not three hours behind. Yeah, an hour behind in a few centuries. <laughs> um, all right, let me cue this they up. Burrows and churros. Am I plugged into this thing? Oh, I hope so. Oh, what do you mean? You know, like, you mean like Bluetooth? Yeah. No, 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 no. In case I want to play that clip, I but I won't go crazy with Arnold. All right, I don't want to do too much crap at the beginning. Why not? I don't know. The beginning is the best crap. I feel like nobody really wants to hear that. All right. <laughs> Everybody wants to hear it. It's not working. That's why people download our not shit all the time. Shit. Yeah, don't, definitely don't put all of this in. No, it's all going out. I will edit it out, <laughs> goddammit. Do not. <laughs> nobody likes this. I'm not connected. Oh, I am connected to the Roadcaster Pro. Okay. Now I'm not connected to the Roadcaster. Okay, Roadcast. so now I am going to try and connect. Oh, wait, I have to put the connect button going. Yeah, th- okay. This is how the sausage is made, ladies and gentlemen. Um, sausage. Wait, it ah! says you are paired. No, fuck. Wait, okay. Who's ready for some action? All right, I have to... Oh, today explained. Okay. All right, forget it, forget it. I can't find it. All right. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike R., I think. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. Mike returns from his summer jaunt to the West Coast, and we tackle Portland's controversial ballot measure 110, decriminalizing possession of small amounts of narcotics, today on a very special edition of RMA. And welcome back, Mike. Thanks, man. Isn't this really a a larger discussion about the concept of legalizing hard drugs? I mean, Portland is certainly the test case in the U.S., but really, I mean, if Portland is successful, yeah. this will be extrapolated to other jurisdictions where the hippies control the DA's office. So anyway, we'll get into that in a minute. But first, I'd like to thank you for rewriting the intro section. It yeah. really flows. So let me do my part. Okay, yeah. Firstly, we would like to welcome our international listeners. Several hundred of you are listening from the UK, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. We hope the message translates to your version of the English language, which always sounds cooler and more erudite than our <laughs> New York drawl. How come we didn't put a message like this up for our Pakistani listeners? There are three. Um, yeah, do we have three Pakistani listeners? Three or four. They're probably hiding um, in a closet well, with the radio. But well, Australia is really cool. Yeah, Australia is great. I love the Aussies. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. That's the country. It, it is. It is. It is. And uh, we're talking about getting arrested or not getting arrested. This is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, yeah, we know. He just had a birthday. He did? Two days ago. He's 74. 
Wow, he's right? old. This soundboard sucks. Great guy. Um, uh, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com where you can listen to the show, buy merch, and tell us your story. Can they buy merch yet? Uh, they can buy the one shirt. We've got the new shirts coming. I'm going to set that up when I get back from Mexico. Why would they buy the old shirt if you the old tell them awesome. that the new shirt is coming? Well, the old shirt is great. That's the old our, shirt's okay. We shouldn't call it the old shirt. We should call it the... Classic. The, the classic. RMA that's, classic. Because that's the design I did. It's not done by um, fancy Jeff D's awesome like art studio. It's done <laughs> by me. Right. So continuing with our homespun theme from yeah. the early days of the podcast, you know, you can, you can own a piece of history, ladies and gentlemen, a piece of history. <laughs> is that what it is? Uh, <laughs> something. It's cool though. It's a beautiful shirt. I mean, look, when I get shirts made from my store or for, for the podcast, we get the finest materials. True. I keep forgetting that you're the expert oh, you know, yeah. when it comes to ordering materials. That's right. I That's never heard right. of the tri-blend until I met you. Tri-blend is the shice nickel. Yeah. The shice knuckle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna leave How that you? One. Oh, I'm sorry. fine. Arnold, please. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and wherever you want from me. Oh, I'm sorry. I want you I'm to shut the fuck up till I finish the <laughs> intro is what I want. <laughs> I'm not going to touch it. Uh, get the latest news updates and meet other RMA Monksters. Uh, I guess we're going with that. On our private, unsearchable Facebook group found easily by searching Recovery in the Middle Ages on Facebook search or find the link conveniently on middleagesrecovery.com. The great reviews will be read on the air. Yeah. The bad reviews will be consigned to the dustbin of history. Please log on to your favorite podcast app. Apple Podcasts is best. Apple Podcasts is best. I guess that works. Give us five stars and say something nice to massage my delicate ego. Uh, okay. <laughs> All I, right. I didn't think you were going to read that. Well, there you go. Tell us your story by logging on. Uh, scroll down, fill out the your story form, and you could have your story read on the air. Now, we have a new review, and we, we have a new story. We do. So, um, so Shrem... Shroom. Shroom. Oh, I get it. Ah, that's a funny. He did a funny. It's like a phonetic spelling of shroom. Right. On Saturday, Shroom said that we are great for all stages of recovery. Um, I've been sober for... (laughs) I've been sleep deprived for about two days. I've been sober for about nine years, and I find this podcast very relevant. Thank you, guys. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Shroom, (laughs) for sharing that... uh, positivity with us today you know what i say the relevanter the the better yeah it's good to be very relevant yeah thank you for as as middle-aged men we don't often hear that we're very relevant to anything you should you're my son how stupid i am i Uh, call i call streaming he he does a a stream for he like games and streams it and i call it i say oh you're gonna do your show today (laughs) dad it's not a show i'm like well what the hell is it like he can't i can't call it a show for some reason what is he on the he Twitch. T- he does Twitch, and he streams his gaming. He streams Minecraft, and he has people watching him and sending him money. It's weird. I I try and keep up with what the kids are into these days, but nothing will make my f- eyes glaze over faster than watching someone else play like, video games. Uh, uh, and it's a whole industry, a multi-million dollar industry, not video games, but no. the watching of others yes. playing video games. There are now like. Esports competitions where you can sit in a stadium and watch people play video games. Yeah, well, I mean, they, what the you, fuck is wrong with this country? When we were kids, and 
video games first came out, people would joke, you know, all of the kids like me that were like video game nerds, they'd say, it's not like there's, you know, a job listed in the paper, you know, needed to save the princess from the Mushroom Kingdom, apply here. But today, apparently there, there is. There is. You can save the princess from the, mush- in the Mushroom Kingdom and get paid for it. To so, show you how, how God behind... God bless America. Yeah, seriously. It's great that the kids are finding their own thing. But you know what I did? Just quick diversion to, into my uh, part of what I did in Seattle. Seattle has a pinball museum. Interesting. Which I went to. And it's in this weird little corner of Chinatown. Um, but it's not run by Chinese people. But anyway, that's, weird. I guess, irrelevant. Um, yes, it is. But they have machines from every era, from the 1950s all the way up through the ones that are still being released. Yes, Pinball games are still, are still being, being released re- in America. There's a contingent of people who are very, very into it. Yes. Like very. Apparently, some of them make museums in Seattle <laughs> with pinball machines. In them. But I have to say, it was jealous. the most enjoyable couple hours that I've spent in a really? long time. And I typically dislike video games because I'm not good at them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm all thumbs when it comes to that Well, shit. you're from the Atari generation, right? I am from the Atari. Just like Barely. I'm from the Pong generation. Right. Not... You know, Atari was like, you know, really fancy shit when I was a kid. So your gaming mind is very simple. I like analog. I like flippers and flippers, flippers and, and metal balls. <laughs> metal balls. You're all about the metal <laughs> balls. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so you know, story somebody too. sent us a story. Brian C sent us a story. Would you like to read it? I would. It's short. It's from Brian C. Uh, hey guys, I just started listening recently. I googled podcast about CBD recovery, and yours came up. That is a weird niche for us to be in. Well, we did quite a bit on it. I've been using CBD for a little while now, and I was curious of what other recovery people thought about it. I've been sober for almost nine years, unless you count the CBD, just kidding, raising a family, running a small business. Had to do it. I was as bad as they get nine years ago, the suicidal type of drunk. I've been there. Mm. Uh, It's a whole new life. I'm overwhelmingly grateful for the blessings that have come in my life. As a direct result of my recovery, I'm 36 years old. Your podcast is very relevant to me. I will be listening. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, Thanks for the insight, he said. Thanks for the insight. Right, I missed that one. That's the best part. Um, Thank you so much for doing that. Um, If you guys don't know, you can send us your story. The best place to do it is to fill out the form on the website, but... You know, uh, message us on the Facebook or send an email to Mike. <laughs> Mike is uh, awaiting your email. So go ahead and do that. The CBD thing, after we got this, now um, we decided because we, we were unable to do the show in the best way possible. We were considering doing the show last week and having me call in or Mike call in. But, you know, we really just want it to be the way we want it. And so we figured we'd wait. And after reading this review... We go, I thought, hey, let's release like an old episode that maybe some of these new <laughs> listeners from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and the United Kingdom uh, haven't heard. And Pakistan. And Pakistan. And, uh, and so I just sort of posted the link to, uh, to the show where Mike tried a uh, Delta 8 THC CBD gummy. Well, I didn't know it was Delta 8 when I took it. <laughs> I, I, I knew it, there was CBD in it. Yeah, I was at the time I was um, I was taking these Delta 8 gummies, which I have since stopped taking. And uh, listening back to it, I, I can hear... Was it funny? It's funny. It's really funny. And I sound impaired on that. <laughs> well, you were. You were taking, you were yeah. taking Delta 8 CBD. I, you know... So it's kind of interesting looking back on that. And uh, I, I definitely don't sound as sharp as I should be. 
Uh, but it was funny to uh, to hear those old shows and and not all of our intro stuff was exactly the way it is, you right. know. So right. you can hear we were sort of searching for uh, for different things. And um, so if you're interested yeah. in the historical record and how we came to be the erudite. <laughs> witty yeah. pair that we are today you can go back and listen to episode 12 i was looking for i was searching my cabinets for cbd last night in fact because oh. i have i've had terrible insomnia the last two days uh getting back from the west coast like the three hour time change has just totally fucked me yeah. like i can't sleep and then even like when it's like midnight and it should be time to sleep if i were on the west coast because of course i go to bed at nine o'clock um I, c- I couldn't sleep last night. So did, I, I did you take melatonin. I was looking for melatonin, oh. but the only melatonin I could find was 10 milligrams, which Ugh. is 10 times the amount of melatonin a human should take. No, I take like 20 milligrams a night. That's fucking crazy. I've been doing it for like five years. Really? And yeah. you're okay when, in the morning? Yeah. If I sleep, I I'm know. not a good sleeper. I never have been. So I, I need these kinds of things. I believe me, I've been. Uh, I've tried nothing. I've tried everything. And my, my good balance is melatonin. I used to do the CBD, but it got expensive. And I started to think that it was just sort of psychological. So I stopped. Well, I couldn't find any. I couldn't find a decent Next time, call melatonin. me. I also have um, you want Benadryl. Me to, you want me to call you at midnight? Call me at midnight. <laughs> We're tandem sponsors. You can call uh, me at any time. I especially- can't sleep, Mike. Uh, uh, Mike. I can't see. Yeah. I can't sleep now. Do you have any drugs I can borrow? I, I have plenty. Um, I'm like a pharmacy. Yeah. Well, uh, I real I did recall that I had a bottle of NyQuil sitting in the, uh, in the, what do you call that room where you piss and shit? The bathroom. Yes. And or the uh, basement, depending on what you're drinking. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but I was like, and then I got into this whole debate with myself. It took about 20 minutes. Like, should I take NyQuil? Should I not take NyQuil? And then I remembered like Dave from Dopey, like used to, you know, drink yeah. NyQuil when he couldn't get to sleep and then he stopped it because it was, he thought yeah, he was, was like, taking shit from his AA group. And then I'm like, why am I thinking about this for 20 fucking minutes? You know, <laughs> and I did not take that NyQuil. alone should have put you to sleep. <laughs> should have, yeah. but it didn't. And, um, so you went to, uh, you went to Seattle. I think we could kick off with that. That's sort of the big, sure. el- that's the elephant in the room. It is. Know? We took a dark week oh. uh, without announcing it, you know, oh, yeah, and- I've- that's my fault. I should have given you more of a heads up. Yeah, it was kind of, and, and also I'm going away, so we're recording this on an off day. I haven't decided whether we're going to release it today. I'm kind of like Jones in to get a show out I there. I know you are. You know. Don't you think we should wait? I don't know. Because people, we're, we're actually hitting decent downloads, even though we don't have a new episode out. It's kind yeah, of weird. It's cool. More people are finding us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not only did I go to Seattle, I also went to Portland and uh, Spokane. Washington. Yeah, and that that's sort of the reason we're doing the, the show today on Ballot Measure 110, because um, Mike went to Portland, and uh, and you, you saw a crack in the streets. I was fucking horrified I mean, <laughs> what I saw. I mean, I've heard people say stuff like that, but I mean, is it as bad as they say? I mean, is it like you're, you're going to get coffee and there's a guy? I mean, because yes. I saw that in New York City. Yes. I saw that in the it's, city. It reminded me of... Uh, Every night we were there reminded me of a Saturday night in the Bronx in the mid '80s. Wow, let's say that. Um, I mean, I'm going to hold some of the detail, more salient details, until we start talking yeah. about the legalization thing. But uh, one thing I noticed about there that's not crack or heroin related is uh, the beer thing. Yeah, like people are kind of into beer here, also. But I mean, we don't have like 
a brewery culture here. They, Is Al- that like the craft beer? Yes. That's a very but Brooklyn like, hipster thing, Yeah, right? but it's on like every block is beer there. Like Big business. It, it's a huge business in, in Seattle and in Portland. And not only that, but they've also integrated the whole um, marijuana dispensary thing, yeah. recreational, like in a way that I wasn't expecting. Because if I, I went out to California, you know, before I Did you smoke pot while you were there? No, mm-hmm. I did not. Okay. I have I to thought ask, you were going to get a scoop. As your tandem <laughs> sponsor, I have to know these things. Um, I would go to California and, you know, you go to, you go to uh, Venice or you go to uh, Santa Monica in LA and, you know, there's, there's pot stores, but they're kind of, they're not like central to the culture, right? You know, you, you, you walk in and it's a bunch of, um, you know, tattooed hipsters running the place and they play in Bob Marley and Jerry Garcia's picture. Is, uh, yeah. It's very stereotypical, right? Uh, stoner culture. But what I noticed out in Washington, and we, were, we drove all through the state, and you know how you go through these small towns, like in upstate New York or whatever, and you know, there's a, a truck stop, maybe there's a couple of antique stores, you know, sort of, sort of a nice country vibe. There are also weed stores in huh. all of these towns. So like you can like be middle aged couple antiquing with mm-hmm. your child kicking and screaming, not wanting to be there, and you could grab a joint and then do it. Yeah, and the, but the signs are like the same as the antique stores, like homespun. They've incorporated the pot leaf in some rather folksy ways, you hmm. know, into everything, and it was just so normalized. Yeah. You know, um, I, I would have to say in these smaller towns that I saw more weed stores than I saw liquor stores and as, as far as ballot measure 110 goes that's actually that should be a good thing from that perspective because part of ballot measure 110 is that they take money from the sales of cannabis they do and that money supposedly goes towards helping these addicts or these drug users who may be right i mean the money's supposed to go back in so. it is supposed to there are some there are some problems with that model yeah um, the main one being uh, that they're not doing it. Well, <laughs> there is nothing to put you know, money the, into. And that's interesting because I had a discussion with, you know, I may have been jumping ahead a little bit, but Portland, the city is a fucking mess. I was there for work like six years ago and the place was popping. There was youth culture. There yeah. was beer culture was a big thing, art, but there was a lot of art and there was a lot of activity out on the street. Now you go there, and, and, I, and I guess this is some combination of um, pandemic the pandemic and the riots that have been going on since last summer uh, surrounding Black Lives Matter, apparently pitched battles between anarchists and skinheads in the streets really? over the course of the last year have left the city a bit of a, a shell of its former self. I did not recognize the place wow. uh, from five or six years ago. Um, huh. But the thinking is that you're going to take some of this money from uh, these weed taxes and put it towards um, treatment or, you know, the problem with that is because the federal government uh, will not participate in any program using money from marijuana sales, right? that extra stream of income cannot from the feds, which could be substantial, cannot be integrated with the money from that the state is using from the marijuana sales. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's an issue. That is an issue. Uh, we need the federal government on board. Um, again. Anyway, let, let's hold that for a minute because, um, you know, we're still kind of getting through our stuff here, our beginning stuff. But um, yeah, I wanted know. to uh, 
So oh, I'm going to go in a completely different direction. Go. Pull us out of this before we say too much before the uh, main topic discussion section. So I've been, as as a stress reliever, since I haven't been jogging or running. Right. Um, Just I, a lot of jerking off. A lot of jerking. Well, yeah, there's <laughs> always a, a lot of that. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and also uh, Oculus Quest oh, 2, which if you guys don't know that. off in a different way. It is. And it's... um. It's a VR headset. It's the latest one. I got it mostly for my kids, but I secretly wanted sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. In any case, uh, it's one when that fucking thing works, it is the coolest. I'm a video yes. game nerd from the late 80s, early 90s. And VR was always a big dream for everyone. And they tried, and it sucked. And they tried again, and it sucked. And there was a cool movie, Lone War Man, about it. And then in real life, it sucked. <laughs> and then everybody gave up on VR. And I just kind of said, eh, it'll never happen. And finally, they have this oculus quest and this fucking thing is awesome and i love it and it is you know now that i've i found that i wasn't able to relax and enjoy things like books and uh, video games not just because i was you know an active addict and i had no desire but even since even since i i got sober I, I found like I, I always had this restlessness inside me and I think it was tied to the fact that I, I hadn't graduated college. I know this sounds crazy, but mm. listen to my theory. Okay. In the back of my mind, I felt like I couldn't rest until I got that degree. Right. And I don't know why I feel I was feeling that way, but ever since I graduated and I got that thing off of my chest. Um, now you can rack, rest. Like, you can relax. Yeah, it's this feeling that you know, I can sit there, put the machine on my head and just do something else that has nothing to do with, with anything else. I can just enjoy myself. And so I feel like, I'm, in any case, so I'm doing that and I got this new game called, it's like The Walking Dead or something. I only get to play for like a half an hour. Is it like a real Walking Dead? It's not just a zombie thing. It's actually based on The Walking Dead because yes, it's Ben has been talking up this thing and, and he Saints wants and it. Sinners. Yeah. So what I wanted to say was, yes, it's awesome. Yes, it's creepy. Great gameplay, all that stuff. So when it comes time to like save your game and go to sleep for the night, right? You have to drink from a flask. <laughs> What's in it? Uh, it? Probably liquor. It's a liquor flask, right? So I'm in this game. I'm playing this game. I'm loving it, and then I'm like, all right, I gotta save my game, and it's like drink from the flask to go to sleep. And I was like, <laughs> and I actually hesitated. I'm like, does this count? Am I? Is this a relapse? Because I'm. Am I using? That you does know, not count. As a sober gamer, should I just try and figure out a way to plow through it without drinking and sleeping? And I mean, you're not case. really committing murder in these games either, right? So Usually, it's, it yeah. is sort of fantasy. So I took the drink in the game, and uh, and that was that. But I, it was just a funny aside. I'm like, wow. I mean, so when you're thinking about your kids playing that, I don't know, it sends a, a horrible message, but so does uh, murdering zombies. I mean, they have families too. Well- and, and that mm-hmm. was a couple of, there were a couple of plot points on that in the first few uh, seasons of The Walking Dead. I mean, the whole thing with the governor was predicated on the fact that, you know, he was keeping his people alive, like his his daughter alive in a room or something. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yes, I, was, I watched that season because <laughs> um, they wanted to cure her or something. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Zombie apocalypse happens, right? Let's just say it happens. Uh, the whole world is gone, yeah. right? Half of your family's been turned into zombies. Sure. Maybe all of them. Right. Do you drink? Um, I would, I'll say this. I would drink if it was like out of some kind of necessity, whatever that is. If Like, let's say there's no clean pot. Like to go to sleep, maybe. Um, <laughs> I probably, I don't know. Maybe I would. 
End of the world. I'd like to think that I wouldn't, and I'd even after everything, I'd be like, oh, I'm sticking to my guns. I'm not rude. I, I pro- maybe I would. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think it would make the apocalypse easier or harder to deal with? I don't know. I think it would bring my end quicker. I, I'm I'm sort of a fatalist. I would want to die at that point. Really? So I might go into a death spiral and just fucking it seems kill like the, myself. It seems like there's two people in this world: yeah. the people who would want to die early, yeah, at the end of the world, and the people. That, want to go all fucking road warrior and go through the whole thing. Yeah. I, I am definitely do. the latter. You're okay. I, if you're there, if let's say we're together and the, then I would stick around. But if it's just me with a bunch of zombies, you know, right. I've had it. I mean, supposedly you can make friends and then you kill zombies <laughs> together. Listen, I've seen the walking dead. I don't want anything to do with that. Um, yeah. Well, the whole, the whole conceit of the walking dead is that the zombies are the least of your worries, right? It's funny, you mentioned uh, drinking and all of that with, with zombies, because when I watch those shows, uh, I'm always rooting for them to find narcotics. <laughs> I really am. Right, where are all the drugs? You know, when they break into, or or like in Lost, I don't know if you watch Lost, this I, is I never one, did, yeah. But there's a heroin addict who, uh, when the plane goes down, he had stashed like a lot of heroin, and he found it after the plane crash, and like he was in the bathroom while it was crashing, trying to do his heroin, <laughs> and then he... he you know, he saved it. In any case, the, so the whole and it's the guy who who played one of the um, uh, Frodo uh, Frodo Baggins um, other guys. He uh, he was an, a Hobbit in Lord of the Rings. This Mary actor. or Pippin? Uh, it was Mary. Two? Okay, no Pippin. It was okay. Pippin. Uh, so that actor. And I just watching him like run around trying to do his heroin while everybody is doing like the lost thing, trying to figure out where they are. And he's like, I'll be right back. <laughs> and when he finally, they made him detox, one of the leaders found it and they took his heroin oh. away. I was like, no, that's so <laughs> fucked up, man. He had enough heroin to last like a year or two. Damn. Um, and uh, they took it away from him and we had to watch him uh, detox. And um, that was hard to watch, but... Uh, uh, wow. I, I haven't watched that show in a long time. Um, so I get yeah. back from my trip. You're going on one of your own. Where are you going? I'm going to Mexico. You don't sound that excited about it. I Listen, I am. I have a major anxiety. And it goes along with, you know, I know I said I graduated from college finally. Now I feel relaxed to do things. But I have so much unfinished business here. Um, my store, you know, I need to make this thing work. You mm. know, like it's teetering. I took this new job in the medical, but like I have so much going on. I'm not ready to like take a vacation. Like I'm not in a place where I feel comfortable. Like, okay, now I'm going to rest and pat myself on the back. Like, have you always had issues with vacation and downtime? Are you like a workaholic? No, I'm not. A, I'm a, I'm lazy. Because a lot of, of a lot of like drug addicts, like, I think have workaholic tendencies because of the amount I've, of work involved in well, scoring drugs all the time. I became a workaholic to get clean. And that's like doing this store. If you guys don't realize it, like I had no experience in retail. I had some experience playing sports. Um, but the act of setting up a sports store pretty much by myself, um, that took a lot of doing. And it kind of kept me sober for a while. Mm. You know what I mean? And and so I kept working and I would always take on you know, marketing jobs, just like I do now. I'll uh, do as much as I can. So maybe that's true. You know, idle hands. You need some downtime, Spend time at the genitals or something. (laughs) Well, that's not a bad thing. Uh, I I mean, you know, you need to take some downtime. You need to go to the beach and stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. I just don't feel settled. I feel like I haven't got myself personally or professionally in a spot where I'm like, I've, you know, I'm doing good. I just want to take a break now. 
Like, I feel like I'm still trying to make it, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, you know, life is like that. You're always trying to make it, right? It's going to be like that ad infinitum into the future, right? I just, I don't know what I would have to, like, when am I going to have that feeling where I'm like, okay, I'm settled in my career and I can take a vacation now. Dude, life is what happens when you're waiting for life to happen. That's true. It's true. Um, And and, uh, Anyway, I think you're going to have a great time. Your kids are going to love it. You know, yeah, and, and it's funny because I was talking to Sergeant Slaughter. He stopped by. I got to see him. He's doing great. Uh, he's got a beautiful girlfriend. Who really good? Yeah, for yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and I, I don't mean to sound surprised. No. Typically, like <laughs> you he will then he will then call you up after listening. You're like, why is Mike surprised that I have a beautiful girlfriend? Well, well, yeah, you should see <laughs> I'm her. <not>. You know. <laughs> um, uh, Sergeant Slaughter always got hot girls. Um, so it's the uniform. Yeah, well, even before the uniform, he just had game. Like, we would uh, go out yeah. to bars, and he's the one guy that would have no problem just walking up to the hottest girls. And um, and most of the time, one or two of them would, like, you know, humor him, and then by the end of the night, he's leaving with them. Yeah. Um, but he was, you know, we were talking, and I was kind of complaining. He's like, man, you have it made. And, um, and I was like, what are you talking about? Because I feel like the opposite of having it made. I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel. And then he said, oh, you know, you, you just did all that construction on your house and um, you're going to Mexico and, you know, all of this stuff. And all I could think was, wow, you really have it. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel that way at all. Right. And then, you know, maybe from the outside, uh, it might look like, oh, wow, you know, that sounds really great. But the truth is, the only reason that uh, I've accomplished anything in these past like four years, like getting in shape, is another thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, only once I got sober and I repaired my relationship with my wife, so that we can now be a team and plan things financially together, and like all of that stuff. Like, that's what makes it possible. I mean. Of course, it's very. I'm very fortunate here, you know. But uh, it's just it feels like a lot of work. Well, uh, it, it is a lot of work, but it, it it's doesn't feel you- like I've got it made. You know what I mean? Like I'm, st- I still struggle paycheck to paycheck. You know, maybe not as bad as I used to, but it's still a grind. And I don't know. I feel like having it made is like you know, you, you're not worrying where your next uh, paycheck is coming from, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm mm. always worried about that stuff. I think very few people ever get to the point where they're not worried where their next paycheck is coming yeah, from. Yeah, I don't know. You know. It's just interesting to hear, um, you know, and, and maybe I would say, man, Sergeant Slaughter's got it made. You know, he's got a, a fancy job um, with the NYPD. He's, you know, living on his own. He kind of does what he wants. He's, mm. you know, you know, he, he, uh, he's got the, I don't know. It's just like, uh, my father always used to uh, say this poem to me. My parents would, um, always like repeat poems by rote to me as a child. It was very creepy sometimes, mm. but one of them was as a rule, man's a fool. When it's hot, he wants it cool. When it's cool, he wants it hot. Always wanting what is not. The grass is always greener. It in is. Other words. It is. It is. Indeed. But I mean, you know, you make a good point that, you know, if you're if you're more together, more is expected of you. Um, and and you know my supervisor at work always used to say to me like when I when I graduated law school, my first law job, he said, um, and he was a career uh, attorney for New York City, uh, and so he had a bit of a bureaucratic attitude. And when I kept when I said something like, ah, I keep getting these motions, I keep having more court appearance, he goes. In this place, the reward for competency is more work. 
that. I yeah. was like, well, yeah, I guess so. Um, which I, I didn't really see as a, as a bad thing, but you also have to be able to manage the amount of work coming in and not have it overwhelm you. Right. And take the occasional vacation, take a step back yeah. sometimes. Look at all the stuff you know. that you say yes to. I mean, I say com- yes to way too much. I mean, I, I'm I, the I'll same first way. To admit it. But when I was actively using and, you know, everybody didn't know per se, but mm-hmm. if they didn't know I was using, they knew probably you couldn't count on me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like, you know, so when I was active, it's much of a nightmare as it was, I, um, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities, No, you know? And when I went to rehab, my only job in life for like three weeks was just stop drinking and get, become better. Like, sounds very relaxing. You know, it was. And, um, sometimes I look back and say, man, I wish I could go back to, uh, (laughs) to a rehab just for like a month, chill out, you know, refresh. Um, well, I mean, I mean, there's something to be said for that whole idea of, you know, using and, and drinking and all this stuff is sort of perpetuating your adolescence and sort yeah. of perpetuating the time where you were not responsible for anything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, there is a certain immaturity to it, to using. Yeah. And so when you have, um, when you, when, when people know they can count on you, they ask more of you, right. you have more responsibilities. Yes. Uh, so that's where we're at. Um, um, okay. Uh, what else did we have to get to before we get to our main topic? Well, I see you've noted some random thoughts here. Yes, I on did. On the outline. Hold on. My, my boss was trying to call me before. My other, I'll just read the first job. one for yeah. you. Good advice and perspective can come from anywhere and anyone. When it comes to getting advice or perspective from someone else, many people who are not ready for the message look for imperfections in a person's recovery or life to render their message, which could be valuable, null, and void. Very true. Yeah. um, I think, you know, I was talking to somebody in recovery um, about, um, I forget what we were discussing, but I had mentioned what somebody uh, we both know had said and like taking that advice. And they were saying, oh, you know, like they did this, this, and this. I can't listen to them, you know. I like I can't yeah. get anything, you know. But what I found was that that I feel like is a big mistake because, um, you know, when I was in the rooms of recovery, whatever they may be, rehab, AA, and A, sometimes I found that like wisdom can come from the strangest and the most unlikely places. Sure, yeah, I've I've heard things that guys who we're detoxing off a of heroin you know, for a day or two, and they'll say something that I can get something out of. Right. Um, and I just think it's a mistake to sort of limit where you'll get, you know, inspiration and where you get information based on someone not being like perfectly sober. Like I'll tell you right now, I'm not perfectly, I'm not a perfect recovery guy, like not even close. Uh, does that mean that you might be able to take something from what I'm, my experiences and apply it to yourself and maybe get something? out of it of course it does people you know. should not be waiting for their own personal recovery jesus to walk in through the door yeah because if you're waiting for that perfect person to get the message um you're gonna uh, be waiting a long time i listened to that dopey interview this past week with tom arnold did you listen to that yeah I it was actually it was really good and and one thing that he said that I, I i found really interesting was that you know he had 19 years and he was coming up on his 20th year and then he got 
did kind of a sidetrack into pain medication. And, you know, he talked about how difficult it was to go back to the people he was sponsoring after 19 years of sobriety, after going out and then coming back. But, yeah. um, but I guess the, the, thing that occurred to him was like, you know, there is, there is value in that experience and sharing that experience with people who are, you know, just beginning the recovery journey as well, you know? So, you know, definitely a, a, a flawed character of sorts, but yeah, you know, yeah. people who, who have a lot of time and pick up and then come back, there's a, there's a lesson in there and they're not perfect yeah. in their recovery, you know? Exactly. Like if a, like this, like Tom Arnold, he, he like you said, he had 19 years Good and then he relapses. And, yeah. Great interview. And he comes back and now should we say, you got to start over on day one, buddy. And nothing you say means anything because you relapse. Obviously not. The guy's got tons of wisdom, tons right. of experience. Um, and, and I think probably yeah. more, more able to look critically at and thoughtfully at his own relapse you know, and, and get something out of it than um, somebody who maybe, you know, has a, a month or two and then goes out and then pops back in, right? I mean, so there is, there is value in, in that experience. Are you, did you just, what happened to your mic? There you go. Okay. Um, yeah, and there's a lot to be, and, and we, we say that all the time, like on our, our uh, relapse episodes, you know, with uh, the great Aaron Moore, um, you know, I still value, you know, Aaron's opinion and her intelligence and her experience. And, you know, because she, you know, in fact, the, the fact that she came out with it and is trying to figure out what happened and how to make it better, you know, to me, that's, that's just more experience that we can learn from. Um, and I right. think, um, you know, do it, like we said, don't wait for a perfect messenger uh, to get the message. Plus, some people aren't really exactly sure what the right message is anyway, right? I mean, people have these internalized assumptions about what recovery is right? Uh, and the truths underlying the beliefs, but, you know, maybe those aren't valid. Maybe, maybe if you're looking for advice from 12-step and that's not conducive to your personal recovery, then you should be looking elsewhere. Yeah, you know? yeah, I don't but, know. But, I don't know um, either. I don't, that was a real non sequitur because I wrote this thing down yesterday. People have internalized assumptions about recovery and the truths underlying those beliefs, but they may not be valid. See, for example, the first step. Um, I'm not sure what I meant by that. Uh, well, the first <laughs> in, step in this is, context, I know what the first step is. Um, for those that don't, it's admitting that you're like you're powerless over alcohol and your life's become unmanageable. Right. Right. So, how does that play in? I don't know. I don't believe in the concept of powerlessness, maybe. Um, I, yeah, I'm sort of of the same mind, but I understand the function of, you know, saying you're powerless. It's like, you know, when you're in that space, when you're in acute uh, addiction, uh, you know, you have to admit you don't have this. Like, your attempts to control what's going on, to manage your life, your life has become unmanaged. So it's an admission that, you know, it's gotten away from you. Yeah. But it you, makes you suspend your, your thinking, though. But and, you have and, to for a little bit. And then, mm. and then I think you got it because you have to say, I don't have this. I need a different way. So it's a way of saying, like, I need some other help. I need some other approach because what I'm doing ain't working. Right. So we call it powerless. But I feel like you shouldn't try and remain powerless forever. I mean, 
I feel like I, I have a lot more power than I did. And I, and I was frequently disabused of the idea that I should, I should get my power back. In fact, you know, if, if I um, started talking like I felt good about myself and I felt in control, right. he would admonish me. He says, oh, it sounds like someone's got his will back, like mm. it's a bad thing. Mm. Um, and I never thought, I don't know. I don't think it's a bad thing for you to have your will, as long as you're not re- relying on willpower, which is a, yeah. which is a finite resource. And plenty of scientific studies have shown that if you try and will your way uh, to not doing something, it's a recipe for failure. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to completely subjugate your, turn your will over to God or a group or something. But anyway, anyway. I, I mean, that's a different discussion. It is. Um, and before we start our main topic discussion, I was listening to Wasted by Mike Pond. And this is actually apropos, this quote from there. Wasted by Mike Pond, it's actually a really good book. Mm. Um, I highly recommend it. It's about a, a clinician who treats addiction, who then falls into addiction right. um, really bad and goes through the system. And this is his account of it. In any case, uh, the quote is, if punishment cures addiction, we wouldn't have any addicts. Um, hmm. And then uh, I think you wrote, conversely, if there's no punishment for the actions of the addicted persons, what is the incentive to get better? You know. Um, See, for example, Joseph Naus. Yeah, this should lead us into the discussion about Oregon legalizing crack, just like you said. So, but I, I will say that you, you know, know my reference to Joseph Naus was I was thinking about this this morning when I was when I was running because you know Naus was punished severely. You know, for those of you who are not familiar with him, go back and listen to our two part episode on his two memoirs of addiction. He was a lawyer who got disbarred and ended up on the sex offender registry for something arguably was inappropriate for him to end up there. And I started thinking, you know, is some punishment appropriate? Maybe. Uh, is the world a better place because Joseph Naus can no longer practice law? Um, you know, maybe not. So, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this whole idea of using criminal law as a punishment is, is sort of a, a sledgehammer when what you really need is a scalpel. But anyway, um, that brings us into the topic that we've picked today, which is decriminalizing of narcotics in the state of Oregon. Decriminalize narcotics. What the... Um, I wanted to start <laughs> this. I wanted to start by reading just the AP yes. uh, article. It's very short and it's succinct and it sort of lays it out. Like I wanted our listeners to understand what we're talking just about. Just to like, <laughs> I, I want them to. They're about to get the big news. Let's pretend like it just happened. Okay. The news just came out. Oregon first state to decriminalize possession of drugs. Salem, Oregon, AP. Police in Oregon can no longer arrest someone for possession of small amounts of heroin, methamphetamine, LSD, oxycodone, and other thing and other drugs as a ballot measure that decriminalized them took effect on Monday. Uh, instead, those found in possession would face a hundred dollar fine or a health assessment that could lead to addiction counseling. Backers of the ballot measure, which Oregon voters passed by a wide margin in November, hailed it as revolutionary move for the United States. Quote, Today, the first domino of our cruel and inhumane war on drugs has fallen, setting off what we expect to be a cascade of other efforts centering health 
uh, over criminalization, said Cassandra Fred Frederick, executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance, which spearheaded the ballot initiative. Almost done. Ballot measure 110's backers said treatment needs to be the priority and that criminalizing drug possession was not working. Besides facing the prospect of being locked up, having a criminal record makes it difficult to find housing and jobs and can haunt a person for a lifetime. Two dozen district attorneys had opposed the measure, saying it was reckless and would lead to an increase in the acceptability of dangerous drugs. Instead of facing arrest, those found by law enforcement with personal use amounts of drugs would face a civil citation, like a traffic ticket, and not a criminal citation, said Matt Sutton, spokesman for the Drug Policy Alliance. Under the new system, addiction recovery centers will be tasked with triaging the acute needs of people who use drugs and assessing and addressing any ongoing needs needs throughout intensive case management and linkage to care and services. So that is the AP and go. So that's, okay. So that's the law in a nutshell. Let's let's pick that apart a little bit. Um, first off, you know, the police in Oregon can no longer arrest someone for possession of small amounts of heroin, meth, LSD, oxycodone, right? It's interesting the amounts that are considered small amounts. Yeah. Uh, for, for LSD, it was 40 hits of LSD. 40, 40. seems like a lot of LSD. It's a good time but in the parking lot of but, a dead show. But only two grams of cocaine, which, you know, it's it would take me... Uh, you know, the better part of a month, if I was taking acid every day to get through 40 hits of LSD, it would take me about an hour to get through two grams of cocaine. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's kind or of a weird, you know, I, I'm wondering how they, where they drew the, those lines or how they, how they actually decided how much yeah. drugs, because what was the heroin amount? Heroin was um, le- up to a gram, which uh, is, is that a, bundle. a lot of heroin. That's well, a bundle. It's okay. considered a bundle, which is typically divided into 10, 10 packs. Right. But you know, I was at a point when I was doing a bundle or two per day. Okay. One bundle typically costs, you know, if you're getting it on a wholesale market, $80, um, I was paying 120. So what they were saying is they, um, in the law that, it was like they didn't want you to have more than like a ten day supply or something, but I but I think they really missed the boat on that because if you're if you're doing if you're a coke addict, you know you are typically and you and you have a good sense of value and you have a couple of dollars in your pocket, you are not buying this stuff a gram at a time. Well, I right? mean, if you get an eight ball, that's three point right. So you're already seven out, you're already uh, above grams. Yeah, you're already above. Yeah, a right? one gram bag is between sixty and I think a hundred dollars, depending on the quality. All right. So, just the thought on that. So this whole deal with the hundred dollar fine or a health assessment. So basically, you can choose when you get the ticket to pay a hundred dollar fine or go for a health assessment. And they give you a number that you can call to set up this health assessment when they give you the ticket. Do you know how many calls they've received since uh, they've set up this system? Wait, was it like 211 you can call? Uh, no, they actually did not uh, come up with an a, a easy number. It's like a regular phone oh, number. Oh, okay. Uh, they've received 26. 26. 26. And uh, I think yeah. this came down, was it uh, June 2020? Yeah, Something fall like of 2020. Fall of 2020. Yeah. And 20 calls. Um, now, there's a reason for that because the $100 fine that they're issuing, yeah. uh, there is no criminal penalty for not paying it. 
So unlike a traffic ticket where, you know, if you don't pay it, they can issue a warrant right. or if it's a parking ticket, they can come and tow your car. Here, if you don't pay it, nothing will happen to you. Plus, the statute was written that it gives the judge the ability, yeah. if you have to show up to court for this thing, to bust the fine down to $45 as well. So this $100 fine or an assessment, if the goal is to get people to go into treatment, or to have the assessment, and there's no requirement once you have the assessment to actually go into treatment, yeah. um, then this incentive does not appear to be enough to get people into treatment. Plus, um, yeah. I might add, what I found out when I was in Portland, watching the walking dead roam around the streets in Portland, was that the police in Portland itself, I can't speak to the rest of Oregon, have been given the mandate that unless they see an imminent danger to life, they are not to intervene in anything going on in the street. So you have really no way to get people into treatment based on this scenario. Scenario. Well, that's, that's the problem that I'm starting to see with this. I mean, I didn't go there and see it myself, but from what I understand, this system only works if people who are using the small amount are being contacted by police. And it sounds, because the only way this works is when a guy is smoking crack outside of Starbucks, mm-hmm. he, you know, if, if nobody comes up to him and says, here's your ticket, you're not, you know, then he'll never get the opportunity to, you know, access these programs or, you know, be called into question for it. None of that happens. So instead of that, what you're having is, you know, on the one hand, they're saying, oh, we're going to help you. And if you have this much, you're going to get this and that. But it's not happening because they're not being stopped from what you could see. I will tell you what I saw in Portland. So my older son and I have different views on politics. And we've been talking about the situation in Portland for the better part of a year in terms of the um, what started as the Black Lives Matter marches that ended up as um, pitch battles in the street between anarchists and skinheads and so on. And the person at the hotel we were staying at, which was a little bit outside of town, said, you know, there's some areas that you probably don't want to go into after dark because there's still activity down there, like people are breaking windows and, and stuff. And, and in fact, we talked to somebody uh, that we met on a tour who uh, said, yeah, they broke the window of our front of our hotel last night. So we, we went out, we had dinner, and my son's like, I want to go see that. I want to go see like if there's fighting in the streets of Portland. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. You know, we, it's early. Let's go drive down. We'll ride along. You know, because again, you know, the last time I was in Portland, Portland was like a, a normal place, like a normal city. Right. Um, so I drive downtown and I drive near the, this famous place called Powell's Books. It's like the biggest, it's like the Strand in New York City, but it's like yeah. occupies a city block and it's so much better, oh, than, wow, the better than the Strand. Oh, better than the Strand? Yeah, it's, incre- it's really an incredible bookstore and it's like a, a beacon of, uh, of, of light in the middle of, of this blighted part of downtown Portland. So we, I'm sitting there in the minivan with my kids. I'm wearing like a polo shirt. You know, I look like, a, you know, the, the biggest white cracker guy, you know, around. <laughs> and so we're driving around a little bit and we make a turn and there's this area in Portland called the Pearl District. And that's where like everything has been going down. But I drive down this block and I, I'm looking at people to the left, to the right, smoking, like openly smoking crack, like just standing there in the middle of the street. And and then you turn the other block and that must be the heroin block because there's like seven, eight people just nodding out yeah. in the middle of the street and and homeless encampments everywhere. And I didn't see a, a, a 
a cop or never mind a cop, like a, any kind of social service, anything, anywhere. So it was just an open air drug market, open air drug use. And I'm, I, I'm like, what is going on here? And this was definitely not the idea um, for what they wanted. What, what I w- discovered just by researching this a little bit is even the people who promoted this and are behind it and are happy about it, you know, they're saying like, listen, you know, this is not ideal. You know, this is a first step. This sets a precedent that will get us to where we are because the, uh, the, com- right. the common um, in the industry there, recovery, uh, the common sentiment is that, um, okay, this is great. Now we're, you know, really reaching out, you know, this is all about harm reduction, safe injection sites. Uh, but what we don't have is a safe drug supply. You know, that doesn't happen. So people are still dying. Right. So, cause legalization did not address the issue of drug safety because right. there was no, like the drugs are not being provided by the government or. Right. Which is a step in the crazy direction, but it, it would make things safer. And on top of that, you know, if they're setting up, they don't have the personnel or the facilities to do what they're proposing to do. So they've, uh, like some in law enforcement and, and some uh, in recovery who are not for this, say it's putting the cart before the horse. Like, yes. in other words, there should have been measures to, to fund more research, to fund more uh, safe injection sites, more rehabs that were accessible and affordable, and then open the floodgates and say, okay, now you don't get arrested, but, you know, if you are, you know, come in contact with a police officer, um, you know, you will have to go get an assessment, you will not be put in jail, and then from there, we have infrastructure to take care of you and do the right thing and give you an opportunity to finally get recovery. And so because that stuff is not in place and it's just bedlam, it's just bananas. Well, um, a lot of advocates of decriminalization and legalization like to point to Portugal as the model, right? Because Portugal effectively decriminalized all narcotics several years ago. But what they what they failed to point out is that Portugal took years before they decriminalized to set up um, the healthcare system, the uh, uh, mental health system, the rehab system, all this stuff. They put all these structures in place before they pulled the trigger on legalization so that the system was ready. Right. In, in Oregon, uh, they just pulled the trigger on legalization without doing anything to prime the healthcare system for an influx, what's going to be an influx of thousands and thousands of people um, who are needing treatment. Now, never, never mind the fact that those people are not actually getting to treatment yet because of some of the other problems with the system. But it seems like if you were going to, I mean, you said this to me yesterday, you said it almost seems as though they did it this way on purpose to, hmm. to portray uh, decriminalization as a failure before it even gets off the ground. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of a conspiracy theory, and I realize it's kind of crazy. From you? (laughs) But, you know, that was one of the first things. That was one of my instincts was, you know what? They did this on purpose because, you know, I feel like some of these guys are patting themselves on the back saying, ah, see, we told you these people are animals. We told you this was going to happen, you know, and, and now they're going to, you know, take it away and they're going to make things so bad that it'll get shut down when they try and do an actual law. And, um, you know, because everyone's going to say, see, these animals couldn't control themselves. See, things got horrible. And, and I feel like it almost be like it's built to spill, Um in that sense, um, I, I it mean, seems that way. I, I think moving 
moving to drug use as a healthcare issue rather than a criminal justice issue overall is probably a good thing. Yeah. And the, um, the way it's set up right now, though, uh, you know, in Oregon and everywhere else in the country, the only way that you get someone who is resistant to treatment to at least be forced to engage with the concept of treatment is with the in, uh, intervention of the criminal justice system. Yeah. And, um, and that really stuck out to me too, because th- this ballot measure 110 and the issues going along with Portland has so, it's so complicated and there's so many different angles. And one of the things I really, um, I really related to was the, the criminal justice aspect of it. Like, yes, it's really bad that, you, you know, people are using crack and heroin in the streets. Okay. But there's something good about this, um, you know, and that's what they're saying. Like parts of it, you know, it's progress, not perfection type of thing. Right, exactly. Now, mm-hmm. the, uh, the way the criminal justice system is set up when it comes to drugs right now and alcohol, like DUIs, is, is like a nightmare. Uh, and it paralleled some of my story, what I had to go through. Like I got arrested for a DWI and then I was punished for being a drug addict because the uh, terms of my probation, you know, were impossible to meet and, and the, the support I was getting just, it didn't, it didn't match up. And, uh, and there was, um, in one of these articles that we were discussing, I think it was, um, the second one, uh, decriminalization in Oregon, how's it going so far? Mm-hmm. It, it sort of, it highlights, um, someone who was caught in it, in, in the uh, in the cycle of the criminal justice and using, it says uh, Tanisha De Mason is no stranger to de- to jail. She estimates she was arrested no fewer than fifteen times, starting at the age of eighteen and continuing through her twenties. "Quote: I used to joke that county jail was just school for the hood," says De Mason, uh, an African American woman from East Portland. I just started meeting more and more people who are into more and more things. Honestly, it taught me how to do more criminal activity. Um, and she says, I was on probation, just like me. I could never pass a drug test. Mm-hmm. It's stressful being in that situation because you're always possibly going to jail. In jail, they don't care about you, she says, her voice tinged with cynicism and sadness. You're just another number. They don't even treat us like humans. I've literally been called animal by a CEO, corrections officer. She sought substance use disorder treatment many times, only managing to graduate, quote unquote, once. I hmm. sent her that emphasized healing from past traumas. She used heroin again an hour oh, later. On her other eight attempts, she didn't last more than four days before leaving. Now she says she fell in love with life. She left her addiction behind and is starting school in the fall, though she worries that her criminal record could limit her options. She, you know, um, and well, I really related to that because I was going through the same thing. You know, I couldn't get off of probation because I couldn't, I don't know, my because my substance use disorder was not being treated properly. I was not succeeding. And therefore, you know, I kept, you know, using up the local resources at the probation department, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. going back to outpatients because I was court mandated. And it's just like, it put such a strain on the, on the person suffering from addiction. And on top of it, you've got a criminal record. Well, and, and let's, and, and that's a good point because ballot measure 110, which is now the law, did not provide for expungement of prior criminal convictions for things that are now not illegal. 
So if you caught a felony for using drugs last year before this passed, even though this year mm -hmm. it would be the equivalent to a traffic violation, your felony is not expunged. Right. You still have that. And, then, yeah. and that seems to me like a huge flaw. But it also seems like there's a big opportunity here because one nice carrot that you could use to get people into treatment would say, if you do successfully complete treatment, we will expunge and seal your prior criminal record. Now yeah. that I think would be a big incentive to get people yeah, into I, treatment. I think so. I mean, and, and that is a huge problem. I mean, I worry about having, you know, even though I don't have a felony, right. I'm still, you know, there's a, it's on my record. There's a misdemeanor. I had a DWI. I mean, it was six years ago now, but um, I worry about that. You know, I want to maybe go, go into teaching. Do I have to worry about that? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, to me, that's true decriminalization is if you remove yeah. the, the, the criminal consequence from the from the addictive behavior. I mean, you can have you can say, listen, if you don't go to treatment, fine. You know, you can you'll you'll keep your DWI. It'll be on your record. It'll be it'll follow you for the rest of your life. But if you do get yourself clean, we'll get rid of that. We'll give you a fresh start. You know, but I mean, this country like fresh starts are not like anyway. The interesting thing though is that there's a lot of recovery leaders in Oregon who who have sort of come out against the way this has been implemented. Right. Right. Um, you know, this guy, Mike Marshall, who was the co-founder and director of the group Oregon Recovers, um, says that, you know, he's worried that the state basically jumped off the decriminalization cliff towards a fractured, dysfunctional and underfunded treatment system that's not ready to handle an influx of more people seeking treatment. Our big problem, he says, is our healthcare system doesn't want it, is not prepared for it, doesn't have the resources for it, and honestly doesn't have the leadership to begin to incorporate that expanded treatment. Um you know, and you're going to take the decriminalization of marijuana, you're going to take that money and you're going to apply it here, but it seems as though there's not enough money for what is required here. Because when you have a for-profit healthcare system, and this is an even bigger macro issue, yeah. it needs an, you need an enormous, if you're going to take a, a population of people, thousands and thousands of people, and all of a sudden dump them at the, at the, the feet of, of, a, of a recovery and healthcare system that is unprepared to accept them, what's going to happen? Yeah, the cart has gone before the horse, apparently. Right. Um, but all of these problems with, you know, because it does address a lot of, you know, terrible things that were going on that now aren't going on. But, um, you know, it's cause and effect. You do one thing and this other stuff happens. You have to be able to handle uh, people, um, you know, but... It, Never mind what kind of treatment we're talking about right. here. I mean, there's what are we going to do? Uh, are we talking about medically assisted treatment? Are we talking about uh, access to 12-step groups? Are we talking about psychotherapy? Are we talking about rehabs? I mean, none of this has been fully considered as far as I'm as far as I can tell from the 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 stuff that I'm I've been reading about this. Now, when they are, uh, when they do stop and arrest you, um, which it doesn't sound like they really do, they, they came up with something uh, where they call it a Class E felony. When a law enforcement officer finds someone in possession of the drugs, they are now written a Class E violation. They will either it's face not a $100 fine or undergo an assessment within right. 45 days. If the assessment is not completed, the fine will be imposed. People with drugs who do not have SUD... Uh, substance use disorder must uh, still must complete the assessment, but if the assessment tools work as intended, they won't be recommended to treatment. So now they're, so they'll, in, in the unlikely case that a police officer stops you, 
Um, you know, and I think that's the problem is people are not being contacted. They're just out there doing it and they're being left. But if they do, you get this $100 ticket and then your incentive is you go get assessed and I guess they, you know, they diagnose you with SUD or, or they don't and then give you services. But I think the real problem here is they're not contacting the people who are just using freely in the street. You know, they're, they're just saying, ah, oh, it's a free-for-all. Right. Like, it's not supposed to be. Problem also being that when they do stop people and send them to these assessments, they don't have the infrastructure and funding in place to do what they should be doing to make this work. And, and that's partially because, as we alluded to before, Oregon cannot take matching federal Medicaid money, which is key funding for state programs for substance abuse because it's using tax revenue from the legal sale of marijuana, which the feds still classify as a schedule one uh, drug. So, uh, you know, what you have is you have some district attorneys who are greatly in favor of this, but you have law enforcement, which is not, but I, I sort of dismiss law enforcement's protestations, um, you know, because they, they've never, found a problem they don't think that could benefit from arresting more people and putting them in jail. But um, I just need to make a phone call for work and okay. we're going to take a break. We'll and be right be back, back after, after these words. Did you take care of that thing? Um, so yeah, so the cops, uh, have been saying, you know, I told you so. Meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile, they've, they've been choosing to not really arrest or, you know, enforce this or engage with people. But I mean, so the cops say we're going to see more and more people needing help because drugs are going to be more readily available and there's no one keeping it in check. Overdoses will go up. Crime will go up. They're supposed to keep it in check. Uh, supporters of decriminalization say that's largely last gasp fear-mongering by unreconstructed drug warriors who won't accept that the interdict arrest and jail model has failed. So I think the, the important takeaway here is that they're trying something and, and, and there's growing pains and maybe they stepped into it too hastily. Um, but criminal criminalization of, of, of addiction seems it hasn't worked. No, but you know they're they're not they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Oh, the cops, anybody. Yeah. I mean, it's like okay, great, we've set this up. But if you're not contacting these people, I mean, and if it's not the cops' job, then there should be uh, a service. There should be you know like addiction contact people who work with the local police or the whoever mm-hmm. this uh, the new system that they have funded from you know, cannabis related sales that should be going out that can give like maybe like a meter maid who goes around and they'll see somebody smoke like, okay, fine, you're smoking crack and you're not going to jail, but guess what? Here's your citation because the, the right. rule says, call this number. You want to do yeah. this? Fine. But you have got to contact our people. You need to be assessed. Uh, you're not going to jail. You're not going to get a record, but you're not going to use with impunity. Um, we're not going to, you know, because we're trying to help. And so until that piece you know, falls in to place, um, they're going to continue to have this issue. And I don't know how much of this is just people running crazy once they've been set free type of thing. You know, I don't know. How long can it go on like this before these people either die or people get sick of it? Well, 
I think people are, are already sick of it, at least in Portland. Uh, I can't really say how it's playing out in other cities. I mean, I, I, that was the only city in Portland, in, in Oregon that I was in. I will say it's only been, what, six months? So, you know, there's bound to be some growing pains. Um, you know, if you go back again to uh, the, the prosecutor from Multnomah County, which includes Portland, he says uh, maybe, you know, his quote is, maybe there would have been a better way to glide path this. Um, but uh, a jolt was needed. Merely tinkering with drug and addiction policy wasn't working. Sometimes you just need to stop the way you're doing it, Schmidt says, to put some urgency behind fixing systems that need to come into place. So hopefully they get it together because I think it's a bold experiment. Uh, I just think the execution was, was the rollout was pretty flawed. Um, I, I completely agree. And this is such a um, pressing topic. It's so interesting because this is sort of like looking into the future. I mean, a lot of us have said, you know, we should, you know, make legalize everything. Uh, lots of people have said that um, thinking that that was the answer. Um, they're trying something like that. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's very interesting. Um, you know, so I, I feel like a lot of us have been saying, oh, in Sweden, they, they've done this and everything is great. What, what is the country that everybody points to and says, what is it, like Amsterdam, well, Portugal. Holland, Portugal? Yeah. And uh, I haven't heard, you know, I've only heard good things about those experiences. That's a lot of people who are advocating for this kind of decriminalization point to these European countries. Now, are they not having these same issues? And if so, what are they doing to Well, I mean, like I mentioned with Portugal, it seems like they took some time to put the systems for treatment and care in place before they, you know, went out and legalized everything. Yeah, and I understand that they have a far smaller population and, um, and better uh, universal health care. Which is another aspect of this. Who's paying for this health care? Right. You know, can it all be funded by uh, cannabis-related sales? Well, not um, without the Medicaid piece. Right. And, and so there's so many pieces to this that don't seem to be fitting into place. Um, but it's one thing at a time. Like you said, I, it's growing pains. This is a step in the right direction. Um, <laughs> so the question is, will anybody can do this in another state? You know? No, well, n- not, if, um, not if what happened in Portland... It receives the media attention that it apparently, you know, is flying under the radar right now. I mean, right yeah. now, Portland is seen as sort of a battleground between left and right because of, I think there's more focus on the the BLM protests and the anarchist stuff going on there. But, um, you know, if, if anybody really starts to take a hard look at this, I think there's going to be some some questions. So, I, I mean, I hope I hope things yeah, we work can't, themselves listen, out. Listen, we can't have anarchy. Um and look, you can't have your cake and eat it too, but um, we can treat, you know, addicts and addiction with more compassion and intelligence than we are currently. Right. Um, I knew guys when I was in my court-mandated rehabs. There was one gentleman who was uh, arrested with, I don't know, like an ounce or two of marijuana. And he was basically serving, like he served like six months, I think, to a year in jail. And he was on some kind of crazy probation, like 10 years or something like that. And of course, he was African-American. Right. You know, and I found that the African-American guys and, and women that I met always seemed to have more consequences. Yeah. Really, though. No kidding. I mean, it's anecdotal and, you know, I, it's not from a study, but... Um, it's what I noticed, and it wasn't necessarily worse crimes than some of my, uh, you know, white, com- you know, uh, 
people that I met who were also suffering. So, I mean, we could do a whole episode on that. There's a great book by a sociologist named Jeffrey Ryman called The Rich Get Richer and the Poor Get Prison. And yeah. since more poverty tends to exist in African-American communities, what Ryman did is he went back and he took a look and he analyzed that at every single step of, the, of interaction with the criminal justice system from arrest to prosecution to deals being offered to sentences being imposed, uh, African-Americans are much more likely to receive stronger consequences for white, white people who commit the same crime. So the, yeah. in my mind, there's no, there's, no, um, there's no doubt that there's racism baked into the criminal there's justice cer- system. There certainly is because any kind of uh, studies also suggest that the same percentage of black people compared to white people admit to using drugs. Right. So if that's the case, why is the um, why is the criminal uh, convictions side of it so disproportionately for African Americans and people of color? And in that that definitely points to um, a definite inequity in, in the way that uh, justice is being meted out, and I uh, use justice um, lightly. I mean, my personal experience in the '80s in the Bronx, I, I used to get stopped by the cops all the time, and if I was ever stopped by the cops with uh, a you know street dealer or whatever, like you know. Um, I would always be told to go back to my campus and they would arrest the guy who I was with. I mean, there was no, it it was just, it's just the way it happened. And everybody knew that that's the way it happened. You know, the white kids get to go home and the the black kids get to go to jail. Yeah. And, um, and I guess finally, this makes me think of, of a quote I heard from somewhere at some time. It was that white people go to rehab and black people go to jail. And that is the sad truth of it. This ballot measure, um, one ten. Maybe this is a step in the right direction, but you know, maybe if we take too many steps in this direction, we're going to fall off a cliff. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We shall. Time see. will tell. All right. Um, that was interesting. Thank you. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it wasn't. You know, if you have uh, sure. comments, I want to hear from you, monsters. Go go on to our private Facebook group, uh, Recovery in the Middle Ages, on Facebook. And uh, let's talk about it. I really want to hear what you guys have to say. Send an email to Mike R or Nat X at, at middleagesrecovery.com. Recovery.com. Uh, to find the private Facebook group, go to the main Facebook group and you can request to join the private group from there. Yeah. And we're having a lot of fun on there. Yeah. Um, people are starting to talk. People are starting to get to know one another and looking to do maybe some meetups in the near future. I think that would be really, really cool. Yeah. Um, maybe even a retreat, an RMA retreat where we can all yeah. get away, hang out and uh, talk recovery or not talk recovery. Just kind of get away from it all yeah. uh, when things cool down with this. Uh, uh, so a lot of fun stuff planned. And um, this is the Delta eight variant delta plus there's a delta plus now is there there's delta eight now there's delta plus delta eight yeah oh no it's not delta (laughs) eight what is it it's the delta variant i just they should call it the delta eight the delta eight variant that'd be good brand can i uh can i uh talk okay you can talk can i go to can we do um recovery in the news you didn't think i was gonna let us get away with not doing that, did you? So as long as we're uh, discussing um, the legalization of drugs, I figured uh, this article I found from uh, the website projectcbd.org might be in order. Uh, the article is titled LSD Therapy for Alcoholism, Treating a Spiritual Disease. 
Uh, the following uh, article was adapted from LSD, The Wonder Child, The Golden Age of Psychedelic Research in the 1950s. Beginning in the late 1950s, the article starts, five hospitals in the Saskatchewan district of Alberta, Canada, offered a new kind of psychedelic therapy, treating alcoholism with LSD. Duncan Blewett, an Irish psychologist, played an active role as an LSD facilitator at Saskatchewan, administering LSD to numerous alcoholics who couldn't tread the 12 steps. While there in 1959, he wrote perhaps the world's first medical manual for using LSD to treat alcoholism, the handbook for the therapeutic use of lysergic acid diethylamide 25 individual and group procedures. Um, the use of psychedelics to treat alcoholism actually had its origins in the early 1900s. Anthropologists working in 1907 reported on alcoholics among Native Americans who had successfully given up the bottle in favor of peyote, the hallucinogenic cactus. Those who made the transition from whiskey to dry whiskey became successful, healthy, and outstanding members of their society. Uh, Consider the following testimonial. Peyote cures us of our temporal ills as well as those of a spiritual nature. It takes away the desire for strong drink. I myself have been cured of a loathsome disease too horrible to mention. So have hundreds of others. Um, And then they go on to talk about, you know, more modern treatment of LSD um, with LSD to cure alcoholism. Uh, interesting article and interesting to note that Bill W. himself, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, also experimented with LSD as a method to cure alcoholism. Is that true? I've heard that several times from you and others and... Yeah, it's true. Where, I mean, where <laughs> is that documented? Where, where, why do we know it's that? It's all over the place. Yeah, but who, who like, did he admit to I that? I think he admitted to it himself. He said that he did it? Yeah. Um... You know, because it, it sounds uh, blasphemous to speak that way about the great Bill W. But the great Bill W. who was begging for drinks on his deathbed. Oh, come Bill on! W. Who who wouldn't be begging for drinks? I mean, probably me. But um, see, that's another thing. Don't wait for the perfect messenger. Like no, no, Bill no. W. had a great message. But yes. yes, he was um, a womanizer. He, you know, he he did have like Cuomo. He had anger management issues. <laughs> you know, he abused his wife and well, so forth. But whatever, we you know, it's fine. You're perfect. right. Not, none of us are right. perfect. It doesn't Under, d- understood. diminish the message. Um, uh, I like the idea of all of this. L- I mean, LSD uh, therapy and ketamine therapy, and there's a lot of. I think that this is an untapped. Um, you know, region of scientific research that there could be great benefits to this. And I think part of the, part of the upside to decriminalizing some of these um, compounds and these substances is that, you know, scientists will now have more access to do these kinds of research. Now, I don't want to be the guinea pig for these things. I did plenty of acid in high school, um, but probably I wasn't dosing properly. And you, know. you weren't taking it in a controlled environment. Yeah, I, I'm very open. <laughs> a Grateful Dead show is not a controlled environment from my own know, experience. I'm very open-minded about this stuff. Uh, I say leave it to the scientists and let them do all these experiments. Don't don't hamper them. I mean, within reason. You don't want them like doing horrible, immoral things. But, you know study this stuff and then come back to us with the data and then we can make a decision. Then I can say, Hey, I've got PTSD. You know, it looks like there's a treatment that uses, you know, LSD. Maybe that would work for me. I don't know. Well, they, they did do a, a study in the, the golden age of LSD research in 1959. So, so, you know, this was a few years ago. So take it with a grain of salt, but uh, follow-up surveys conducted after the LSD treatment revealed surprising results. Roughly half the patients either improved or stopped drinking altogether. Uh, so promising was the success rate 
of Recovering Alcoholics with LSD Therapy that the Saskatchewan Bureau of Alcoholism called LSD the most helpful remedy we've known. I might note that a 50% recovery uh, success rate is much higher than the success rate of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, but if you ask certain people in AA, they'll tell you it's more like eight, like eighty percent of the people who follow the program to a T. Right. Pro- problem with that Perfect. is self-selecting statistics. You got to love it. The problem that I've always seen with people who say that you know you're just not working the program is that when the first thing you have to do in a program is the one thing you don't know how to do, stop drinking and using. (laughs) How can you, it's like you can't engage the program until you do the one thing is impossible for you to do. (laughs) So what kind of program is that? I mean, it should be in reverse. There should be 11 steps showing you how to stop doing the drinking. Right. And then that should be the final piece. And I think maybe that's where we're headed is maybe reversing this. Listen, many people have success in AA, at least five out of a hundred. Five out of a hundred is great. So I am... If that works for you, then great. Yeah, so I'm, very interesting. I support your, your recovery in any way that you I'm choose com- to engage it. I'll quote Dopey Dave. He said, uh, I think it was British Fetis, Bridget Fetisy, <laughs> who uh, is, a, is an addiction guru with many followers, and she had admitted on his show that she now smokes a joint before bed every night. Right. And what Dave said, and, he, and he's an AA guy, he's, he's an abstinence guy, and he said, I'm comfortable with your happiness. Right. And I love that. That's exactly right. That's how I feel. I'm also an abstinent guy. Yes. As are you. That's right. Right? I'm abstinent. It's all good. Unless man. you count all of the shit that I do, like CBD, and <laughs> which a lot of people- <laughs> I don't count that stuff. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's loud. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the news. I don't know gonna, why it's so loud. Is it going to peak? I don't want it to peak. I'm peaking, man. I'm peaking. <laughs> And that brings us to. What does it bring us to? Week and week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is this Bigfoot? No. Ghost Hunter. This <laughs> is actually. Okay. Ghost Hunter injured in fall through roof of Buffalo train station. Uh, I laughed so hard after I just read that headline that I had to do it. <laughs> a ghost hunt in Buffalo took a terrifying turn this past weekend when a woman was badly injured after falling through the roof of a train station and plummeting to the ground. Oh, dear. <laughs> this scary incident reportedly occurred on Saturday evening as a woman and a man were searching for spirits at the historic Buffalo <laughs> Central <laughs> Terminal. Is it supposedly haunted, I like, guess? Yeah, you've seen these shows. They walk around yeah, yeah, and they've yeah, got their, their night. Like, so it's like and, picturing yeah. these people and then... <laughs> Boom. At some point during their investigation, authorities say they ventured atop a substation roof at the site and disaster struck because it evidently could not support their weight. According to police, the unfortunate woman, which she shall forever be known as. They didn't name her, huh? The unfortunate woman fell approximately 20 feet through the roof to the ground below and sustained multiple injuries. Her ghost hunting companion managed to avoid falling. Uh, Thank goodness. He he just pointed and laughed, which likely (laughs) averted an even greater tragedy as he was able to call for help. A railway hub for the city from 1929... Uh, to 1979 when operation of the location ceased Buffalo Central Terminal fell into disrepair over the subsequent decades until recent years when the work began to revitalize the site as a historic landmark um <laughs> that it was haunted, I guess, is the PS, right? You, the caretakers it, of the station smartly embraced the spooky stories 
and have hosted ghost tours at the location. Yeah, I feel like I've always wanted to see that happen, watching one of these ghost shows. They're in these abandoned buildings. Like, you know what would be hilarious? <laughs> he just fell right through, through the, the roof. roof. <laughs> right. So, um, one thing I forgot to mention, yeah. just because I was expecting a Bigfoot story this week. I'm sorry. Um, Next time. Oregon is like... Bigfoot Central, you know, That's they true. really trade on there. That's true. So we we t- we we went to visit. Uh, you see, uh, Bigfoot Mul- smoking crack. <laughs> <laughs> Some guys could have could have passed yeah. that test. Uh, we went to visit Multnomah Falls, which is right outside the city. But uh, the shuttle that we used was Sasquatch shuttle, and it had uh, <laughs> pictures of the silhouette of yeah. Bigfoot on it. And uh, I was thinking about you the whole time. Uh, you would have really enjoyed the the Bigfoot iconography all throughout the Columbia River Valley. Did you know you can go squatching, and it's actually a verb to, yes. to go squatching? I know some people that do it in upstate New York. Why don't we go squatching? That could be our RMA Bigfoot retreat. Does not exist. Well, it'd be fun. it's the journey, not the destination. Mike. That's true. We can um, think of it as an allegory for something, perhaps. Perhaps. Well, perhaps. anyway, that about does you've it. You've wasted for- another good hour with. Yes. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> that about does it for today. We had a great time as always. Thank we you did. so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So tweet us a twat. You twit. You twit. Support your favorite show. Drop a five star review and send us your recovery story. Join our private Facebook group. Buy a t shirt. Look out for the new ones. Uh, or simply write and say hello, hello. at NatX or Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com. We love meeting new monksters and chopping it up on the Facebook group. <laughs> group. And chopping it up. And finally. Is that a new? That's a new it. one I'm using. And right. finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. Yes. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good. 